Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read the first 26 verses of the chapter. And the text of the sermon is verses 18 through 26. Although, just like last time, we will be pulling in the details that come from the parallel texts as well in Mark and Luke. Matthew 9, verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier, to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose, and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled, and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. This is where our text begins, verse 18. While he, yet, while he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem 
of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. We read the word of God that far. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the daughters of God, the little children of the church, the little girls, and the grown women are loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. Just observe in our text the gentleness and the compassion of Jesus toward a little girl of God's covenant on her deathbed and a grown woman who has been suffering with the disease of her blood for 12 years whom no one has been able to help. We men, as we listen to the sermon this afternoon, we men who occupy positions of authority and leadership in the home and in the church, must observe the attitude and actions and words of our Lord Jesus Christ toward women of the church. We must learn from our Lord in the text, what is a little girl worth? And how precious are the daughters, the women of Israel, in the eyes of our Lord particularly in their sufferings. And as we observe our Lord in the text and in the sermon, let us learn to put on the mind of Christ and to show the same gentleness and compassion toward the little girls and the grown women of the church in their grievous afflictions. When we carefully study the parallel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we can come to know when this event, when these two miracles took place. We have to do a careful study of all the parallel accounts to come to that conclusion. And this is the conclusion. The same morning in which Jesus cast out the legion of demons in the land of the Gadarenes that we considered last time, He and his disciples got back into the ship, and they crossed the Sea of Galilee from the south or east back to the north and landed on the northern shore by the city of Capernaum. They went into the city that same day, and 
In a house, Jesus healed a man who was sick with the palsy, a paralyzed man whose friends carried him on a bed up to the roof of the house and let him down from the ceiling right in front of Jesus. Jesus forgave him and healed him that day, the same day. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and he passed by the tax booth of Matthew, which was probably close to the sea. And he said to Matthew, follow me. Matthew followed him and became his disciple. And Jesus dined with Matthew and with other publicans and sinners in his house that day, to which there was great objection from the scribes and Pharisees, to which Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That same day, a group of the disciples of John the Baptist came to talk to Jesus, and they asked him some questions about fasting. Why do we fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus was explaining the answer to that question to those men when suddenly a certain ruler came walking up to him. The certain ruler of our text. And he fell down before Jesus' feet, and he begged him to come to his house and to heal his daughter, his little girl. Jesus got up and began to follow this ruler to his house somewhere in Capernaum. And on their way to the house, a certain woman joined the multitude and pushed her way through the crowd to the back of Jesus and touched his clothing a woman who had been diseased with an infirmity of her blood for 12 years. It's interesting that in all three of the accounts, God has inspired these men to weave the two miracles, the two stories together as one story. From all eternity, God ordained that this little girl and this grown woman would be touched and healed by the Lord on the very same day. And... God also inspired the three writers of this account to weave this tale together, and we wonder why. You cannot hardly separate them and preach two different sermons on these two events. That may be possible, but the narrative weaves them together as one. Perhaps the reason, in part, is that God would have all future readers of the scriptures to know and to see the gentleness, the love and compassion of Jesus Christ for the daughters of God, young and old. So let's consider the mighty works of Christ, the mercy of Jesus to God's suffering daughters. First of all, the dying daughter of believing Jairus. Secondly, the healing of a bleeding woman of faith. Finally, the resurrection of a beloved little girl. While Jesus was standing there talking to the disciples of John about fasting, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him. This certain ruler was one of the rulers of the synagogue. Not a political ruler, but a religious ruler in the synagogue of Capernaum. And his name was Jairus. 
It is already surprising in itself that this man was a ruler of the synagogue. Most of the rulers of the Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior whom God had promised to send. Most of them considered Jesus a threat to their power and authority and a foe to be reckoned with. But Jairus was an exception to that. God had graciously elected this man before the foundation of the world to be one of his children. And now, here, he has given to him the gift of faith. He believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that Jesus was able to help him. Although we saw earlier that Jesus gave an even higher commendation regarding the faith of that Roman centurion, when he said about that Gentile man, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Nevertheless, the faith of this Jewish man was also very great. Jairus was one of those in Israel who did have faith in Jesus as the Christ, and even a very great faith. He came to Jesus that day, he fell down before him, he worshipped him, and he begged him, please, please, Come to my house. My daughter is dying. And if you just put your hands upon her, you can heal her and she will live. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine the multitudes of people around Jesus seeing Jairus, one of the rulers of their synagogue, falling down on his knees, putting his face on the ground before Jesus, acknowledging him as a Lord, a master, a savior. Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue, a man of power and influence in the covenant community. He was a man who had knowledge of theology, knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. Most of his peers reviled Jesus and rejected him. Not Jairus. Jairus is there groveling at the feet of Jesus, begging him, beseeching him, to come to his house in the faith that Jesus was able to heal his daughter. Jairus had a true and living faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what his initial request was. You have to go to Mark and Luke for that. Initially, Jairus said to Jesus, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Or in the words of Luke, he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. When Jairus first went to Jesus, his daughter was not yet dead. She was dying She was on her deathbed. She was at the point of death, but not yet dead. You have to try to understand the circumstances, the feelings, the sufferings that all these parties were experiencing. The little girl, 12 years old, lying on a bed, suffering with some tormenting disease, and no one is able to help her. No one is able to heal her, and she is at the point of death. 
at the very precipice of dying. Or Jairus and his wife and the suffering they must have been experiencing. For 12 years, they had raised this little girl. They had brought her into the world. And imagine the joy they must have experienced when God gave them a little girl, a baby girl. And for 12 years, they trained her up. They took care of her. They raised her. They brought her to the synagogue. They no doubt taught her the scriptures. And now she's sick. And this 12-year-old girl is not only their only daughter, but if you look very carefully at the Greek in the Luke account, it's clear she was their only child. She was their only begotten daughter, meaning they had no other children, just this one little girl. And there she is at the point of death. They loved her, they cherished her, but now there is nothing at all that they can do to help her. So Jairus rushes through the streets when he hears that Jesus is in town falls down on his knees before him and begs him to come to his house. Please, please come. We see there a manifestation of his faith. This was not desperate superstition. This was not the end of the rope, a last hope. This was a true and living faith. Jairus had heard the good news that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ. He was the long-awaited Messiah. He had heard the wonderful works and miracles that he had been doing. And by God's grace, he believed in Jesus. And now he has found out somehow this morning, Jesus is back in town. Jesus is back in town. So he rushed down the street to find him. And in faith, he brought his petition. Come, my daughter is at the point of death. Come, please, If you lay your hands upon her, she will live. But a little bit later on, as Jairus was leading Jesus through the street to his house, messengers came and told Jairus, Don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. That news must have hit him like a ton of bricks. And yet... Jesus looked at him and said, Be not afraid, only believe, and she shall be made whole. And when Jesus said those words to him, Jairus confessed his faith, as we read it in Matthew 9, verse 18. My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. She shall live. He believed. We parents ought to take notice of the faith of Jairus with regard to his dying daughter. With regard to his daughter after she died. Do we love our children? Do we love our little babies? Our little boys and girls? When we raise them up year after year after year, does our love grow? Oh, do we love them. 
And that's why we give ourselves to provide for them, to protect them, to care for them, to teach them, to set an example for them, to bring them to church, to teach them the word of God and bring them to catechism. But what if one of our little ones gets sick? What if our little girl or our little boy is suffering mentally and emotionally and even physically and spiritually? What if our little child is even dying? What if they're on their deathbed in the hospital? What if the doctors tell us there's nothing more that they can do as far as they know? In those moments, God is testing our faith. God is telling us in those moments, go to Jesus like Jairus. Go to him. There's nowhere else for you to go. Go to Jesus. Lay down your cares and your burdens at his feet. Cast your burdens upon him. He careth for you. He loves you. Pray for his healing grace. And remember that your little one is more precious to Jesus, infinitely more precious to him, than he or she is even to you. But what if our child actually does die? As Jairus' daughter did. What if God sees fit to snatch away our little one, perhaps at the tender age of 12? Then God would be testing our faith with a fire more painful than many, many things. And yet, it would not be a fire that would burn us. Because God sends no fires to burn us. But even the hottest of fires and trials that God might send in our life, he is then telling us, go to Jesus. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Believe God's covenant promises. And believe that your little one is in heaven is in a place where you're going to, where streams of pleasure ever flow and boundless joys abide. In the depths of pain and brokenness of losing a little one, that, that's what God is saying to us. Do not be afraid. Only believe your child is with God. When Jairus begged Jesus to come, Jesus followed him. We see the compassion of our Lord. But as they were walking down the streets of Capernaum, multitudes of people were thronging around Jesus. We don't know how many, but there were many, including Jesus' own disciples, heading to the house of the ruler of the synagogue to see what Jesus will do And as they were walking, a certain woman joined the multitude. We are told that this woman had been dealing with a grievous infirmity for 12 years. Notice that. For the same amount of time, which was the whole lifetime of that dying little girl, this woman had also been suffering with this issue of blood. And she heard that Jesus was coming 
So she pushes her way through the crowd to see Jesus and to get close to him. We are not told the name of this woman. We do not know very much about her at all. What we know is that she had an issue of blood, an outflow of blood that she was not able to heal from, what doctors today would call a hemorrhage. She was a bleeding woman. We don't know why she was bleeding. We don't know how she was bleeding. We don't know how much blood she was losing or how often. But we know that it was a serious and ongoing infirmity. We are told in Mark and Luke that she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered. In fact, Rather, she grew worse. This woman had gone to every doctor in Capernaum. She had probably gone to many of the doctors throughout Galilee. She was trying to find a doctor who knew what her problem was and who was able to help her and provide her the right treatment, the right medicine, the right procedure to heal her of this ongoing bleeding. But none of the doctors were able to help her. In fact, How disappointing. The doctors made her situation worse. Somehow the treatments they gave her, the medicines they prescribed for her, did not improve her condition, but made it worse and worse and worse. Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been for her? How awful it must have been the emotional stress and distress. She must have lost all confidence in the medical profession. She was at her wit's end. She had nowhere to turn. All of the people who were supposed to know how to help her were not able to help her. She was utterly in despair. But there was more. Because according to the Jewish Levitical laws, this woman was also ceremonially unclean. She was not only suffering from a physical infirmity of this issue of blood, but according to the law, the law of God, which I'm sure scribes and Pharisees reminded her of from time to time, she was unclean. And imagine the shame she must have felt because of a disease that she had contracted by no fault of her own. And yet here she is in this desperate Difficult, terrible place, and she's also ceremonially unclean. She must have felt isolated. She must have felt alone. She must have felt that nobody knew what she was going through and nobody cared. And then she hears that Jesus is coming down the road. Can I go to Jesus? Is Jesus able to help me? Can I turn to him? But how can I come to Jesus, this great Lord, this great rabbi, this man of great authority and and power, this one who they are saying is the Son of God, come down into human flesh? How can I approach him? How can I talk to him and ask him to help me? Won't he send me away? Won't he dismiss me? Won't he tell me that I'm ceremonially unclean? Imagine the thoughts in her mind. 
She was afraid. She was desperate. And she was a woman. Jesus, a man. And probably the men that she had gone to, the doctors, had not shown any compassion, certainly not any ability to help. Will Jesus have time for me? She had fears, but she had faith. Because just like Jairus, an unexpected child of God, as a ruler of the synagogue, most of whom rejected Jesus, but just as God had eternally elected Jairus, he had eternally elected this woman too. God had loved her from all eternity, and he gave her the gift of faith. Faith in Jesus as the Messiah. That's what drove her to Jesus. That's why she went to Jesus. It was not superstition. It was faith. She believed. If I can go to Jesus, in fact, if I can just touch his garment, I believe that the power of Christ will heal me. So being too afraid to come to Jesus face to face, she comes to him from behind, pushing her way through the crowd, reaching out, touching the hem of his garment, probably one of the parts of his robe, the tassels that was swinging freely from his garment, the kind of robes that Jews wore in those days. She reached out for one of those tassels and just touched it and then shrank back into the crowd. That was a touch of faith. She believed Christ could heal her. And the scriptures say that at the very moment when she touched the tassel of his robe, she was healed. She felt something change inside her body. She felt the bleeding stop. She felt throughout her body the sensations, the feelings of healing sweeping through her muscles, her veins. And suddenly she was well. Perfectly well. But she shrank back into the crowd. Jesus stopped. And he turned around. And he said, who touched me? And if it is true that the woman was afraid to come and to approach Jesus face to face, as it seems she was, imagine how her heart must have started beating when he turned around and said, who touched me? Was it going to be the case after all that Jesus would rebuke her, that Jesus would treat her badly and send her away? What would Jesus say to her? She didn't dare to step forward. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, there's a multitude of people around here. Everybody is thronging around you and pressing upon you. And why are you asking who touched you? No doubt many people touched you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me. Because I know that virtue has gone out of me. 
Jesus knew, of course, every single person who had touched him as he was walking down the road. And he he knew who had touched him. He was not asking the question because he actually didn't know who touched him, and he was trying to find out. He knew. He knew that woman. He knew that woman from all eternity in his divine nature. And he loved her from all eternity. And he had come into the world for her as well, to heal her and to save her. But he asked the question to reveal to the whole multitude what had just happened. He wanted to make known to the woman and to the whole multitude that she had not been healed by some magical contact with his clothing. There was no magical power subsisting in the clothing that Jesus wore. It was by a willful act of Christ himself that she was healed by means of her faith by which she touched him. Christ knowingly healed her, willfully healed her, and now he would make known to everyone around what had just done, what had just happened. Jesus had healed the woman of her issue of blood. Jesus had dried up that fountain of blood so that she was healed in her body. And why did Jesus do that? Why does Jesus do any of the miracles of healing that he does? to point us to himself as the Lord and Savior, and to point us to his cross. Through this particular miracle, Jesus teaches us that just as this woman had an issue of blood from her body, he would cause his blood to issue forth from his body on the cross. He would give himself willingly to the death of the cross to shed his blood from his hands and his feet, to bear upon himself all of the sins of his suffering daughters, his struggling daughters, in order to stop all their bleeding, to heal them, literally and figuratively. Because the bleeding, the issuing forth of our blood from our bodies is a sign that we're dying The blood is supposed to stay in our bodies and to run through our veins and to sustain and nourish the life of our bodies. But when that blood, through a disease, is issuing forth, we're dying. Jesus caused his blood to issue forth as a willing sacrifice to save this woman and all of us, his children, so that we would have eternal life. Who touched me? The woman saw that she was not going to be able to slip away into anonymity. Luke 8, verse 47 says, She came trembling, trembling, shaking, falling down before him. Imagine how nervous she was. And she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. We see her, this poor woman, 12 years of suffering, now healed, on the ground before Jesus, terrified, 
of what he might say. What did he say? Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. That's the gentleness and compassion of our Savior. That's the love of Jesus for that woman. Not just for Jairus, a man. For this bleeding, suffering, disappointed, ashamed, frightened, trembling woman. Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Brothers, let us learn from our Master and King to be gentle and merciful with the daughters of the Lord and their bleeding hearts. When they come to us trembling, when they come to us in fear, when they come to us looking for help, daughter, be of good comfort. You have nothing to fear. That's the compassion of Christ. Sisters, go to the King of Kings. Go to Jesus when your heart bleeds, when your body bleeds. He's a merciful and a great physician. He will never let you down, He will never fail. He's not like others who may try to help, but fail and even make it worse. Not Jesus. Trust him. Soon the procession continued down the street, and they arrived at the house of Jairus. Jesus didn't allow anyone to enter into the house with him, except for Peter, James, and John, we are told, and Jairus, and Jairus' wife. When Jesus and this group went into the house, they saw the hired mourners. In those days, when somebody died, they would hire people to come and weep for the deceased. And there were people in the house weeping and wailing with all their hearts, so it seemed, for the little girl who had died. But when Jesus came into the house, he said to them, Why are you making all this commotion? Why are you weeping? The girl is not dead, but she is sleeping. Go away. And when he said those things, they laughed him to scorn. That shows in a way how fake sometimes that weeping and wailing could be. They were paid to do that. It's amazing how suddenly they could stop their weeping and wailing, and now they're laughing out loud. And they were not laughing with joy and rejoicing that Jesus had come to heal the little girl but they were laughing him to scorn, laughing in unbelief. And as they laughed, they filed out of the room one after another until only Jesus, Peter, James, and John, Jairus, and the mother remained. Jesus walked up to the bed of the little girl. He took her hand and he said, Talitha kumi, which Mark tells us means 
Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And Luke tells us, her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. Give her something to eat. Jesus told the people that she was not dead. She was sleeping. When Jesus said that he meant the same thing that he meant when he would later say that Lazarus was not dead but sleeping. And the disciples would say, well, if he's sleeping, then he's just fine. And then Jesus had to tell them, no, Lazarus is dead. But what he meant was, although the spirit of the little girl had departed from her body, her spirit was not dead. And really, neither was her body, because she belonged to Jesus, and therefore she could never die. But her spirit and her body were sleeping, just sleeping. Jesus is able to say that because he is the resurrection and the life. And as he would say later, anyone who liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And those who believe in me shall never die. Only sleep. What a comfort that is. But Jesus, by his awesome power, only taking hold of her little hand and saying, Little girl, arise. By the power of Christ, he raised her from the dead, uniting her spirit and her body again, and awakening her. This was a miracle of resurrection from the dead, one of Jesus' several miracles of resurrection from the dead. He performed this miracle, just as the others, to point to his own resurrection from the dead, which is our hope that we too will rise from the dead. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we will receive life and immortality But behold, the gentleness and compassion of our Lord for that beloved little girl. What is a little girl worth? Some have asked. What is she worth? A little girl of five years old, ten years old, twelve years old. What is she worth? What is she worth to Jesus? How precious is she to him? We see that in the text. And you little girls need to know that. That Jesus loves you. He has compassion on you. When you suffer, when you cry, when you're hurting. Even if you would be dying. And Jesus would never, ever do anything to hurt you. Never. And so, brothers and sisters, we see the compassion that Jesus has for the little ones in the church who belong to him, and particularly now the little girls. May we also have a true and holy love for the boys and girls of the covenant and the way we treat them in private or in public. 
may it always be out of that true and holy and chaste Christ-like love. May we never do anything to harm them in body or soul. Was a little girl worth? What are the women and the daughters of Israel worth to Jesus? They're of infinite worth. More precious to him than anything. And may we treat them in like manner. Amen. Father, we give thee thanks for the good instruction of thy word. We marvel as we look upon our Savior. What mercy, what love. We thank thee that in Christ there is neither male nor female. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to his love and compassion, that he shows it toward us who are men and women, boys and girls. And grant that that compassion of Jesus manifested in the text might be a healing balm to us, that it might encourage us and strengthen our hearts. May we hear the word of Christ. Do not be afraid, only believe. 